Hey, Sean, it's Jim. Um, I don't call you unless it's something important, but this is extremely important. Hey, everybody, this is Doc Mack from the Galloping Ghost Arcade out in Brookfield, Illinois. Today is Monday. It's June 3rd, 2019, and we are here with yet another Monday mystery game, this time number 717. Whoa, good Excuse morning. Me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. I guess we should get this show on the road. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, <coughs> is coughing okay? Is it? Okay. No, you coughed for two episodes. You Actually, can, you more can than that. A, you, can ta- you can take a coughing break just this one time. Okay. It's going to be interesting today because I literally got back in the house from mowing like 30 minutes ago. So, uh, uh, maybe 40 minutes ago. So, this is going to be interesting. If, if it's allergies, we'll, we'll find out tonight. So... Yep. On the next yep. Pie Factory podcast. Um, hi, everybody. This is uh, Jimmy G. Hi, everybody. This is Sean. And should we introduce our guest yet, or should we make the uh, make our listeners we'll introduce like, the guest at the end before we roll credits? Mm-hmm. Make them uh, a create an air of anticipation. So, um, with us we have today in our studio, so to speak, virtually, uh, Mr. Ed Kelly. It is Mr. Right? You're not married or anything. Uh, I am married. I am, I am a mister. Okay, so it's a mister. Ah, okay. So, hi, Ed. Hey, thanks for having me on, you guys. Don't sound too enthusiastic there. Holy crap. Man, we're doing you a... F- no, I kid. I kid. I kid because I care. You, re- you realize that like it's much later in Ed's time zone than it is ours, so he's yeah. like cutting into his bedtime right now. It's only I am laying on my bed, but that's just so I can have complete focus. Ooh. And I'm cutting into oh, wish well. my bedtime right now, so... Oh, well. Uh, and actually, I sleep through the entire podcast. Everything you hear is me uh, responding to a dream. So I think we're all good. So uh, how are you doing, Sean? Uh, thank you for asking. I'm doing tiredly. Tiredly. Oh, yes. And how are you, Ed? Or did I ask that? You're doing that? great. Oh, you're doing great. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. You said you're in your bed. I, sometimes I keep forgetting what's going to get cut out and what isn't. So on my bed, not in the bed. That's a, Ooh. That would be another level. If I were. Let the daredevils get on. Yeah. I've used that joke recently. As the official Pie Factory podcast statistician, I should have been keeping track of the George Carlin references and the Steve Martin references, but I've been slur- slurking, shirking, slacking. Slurking? Not doing my job. Florsal quirping? D- does the score go up for using more or less of those uh, references? I don't think we've sussed that out yet. I, I-, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a good question. We'll have to do a whole special episode about that. But yeah, well, the word we got from a lot of people we talked to at Midwest Gaming Classic who listened to us, which is shockingly a lot. Yeah, I know is that they they like our special episodes, so we'll do special we do episodes special a little episodes. bit more. Yep. Which is why we have Ed with us tonight. This today, is the whatever. short bus episode. Another the one. special kid. Okay. Yeah. I so, like it already. Good. So, Sean. Yeah. Let's uh, let's. Let's 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 talk. Um, I'm trying let's, to think let's, of a segue here, but uh, uh, hey, we got some uh, interesting news and stuff coming up here. Um, or, really? Well, actually, do you, do you want to talk about what you've been playing recently, or do you want to just move right into news, or do you um, jabber for a bit, or how do you want to do this here? Since we got somebody that's not in normal standard time. Yeah. Um, well, we're not in standard time either. We're in well, daylight we're in, time. We are so. in normal time, though. That's yeah. undeniable. Yeah, we're we're in stranded time here. But anyway, 
I guess I might as well tackle that first part of what you were asking, especially since this is a video game podcast, especially a arcade video game podcast. On Mother's Day, I took a little trip to Underground Retrocade. Oh? Instead of spending the day with my mother. Take that, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, full disclosure, we did our Mother's Day stuff on Saturday because my brother lives out of state now, and he was in town. So oh, really? We I didn't know coincided. That. Yeah, he, he moved to Ohio. I'm sorry? An interesting... Yeah, me too. I'm not... <laughs> hey. There's a ton of great gaming going on in, in Ohio. The game stores there are plentiful, and Korg's is coming up in just a few weeks, so... Uh, you don't know where my brother lives, though. <laughs> Cleveland? Oh, much worse. Yeah, there actually is much worse. Oh, in fact, last year at Midwest Gaming Classic, I was talking to a guy who was uh, from Columbus, which is the metropolitan area where my brother moved to. Mm -hmm. He lives in uh, Johnstown, actually. And I asked the guy, I said, what can you tell me about Johnstown? He said, well, it's a place. It's a place. <laughs> and then I said, okay, well, how about Grove City, which I've been to, and he and my brother doesn't. He stays away. I, when I said Grove City, the guy's like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> that's funny. So at least it's not Grove City. So that's what I can say about that. I have that, to say, I like Cleveland and I like Dayton. But, yeah. I think I'm having, the only person that likes Cleveland. I like Cincinnati. It's actually my favorite. Oh, well, Kings Island, of course. Oh, yeah. I've never been to Cincinnati. The chili is awesome. I lived in Columbus from age uh, four until 10. Really? Yeah. Oh. And still have a lot of family up there. And so, hmm. like, I'll be up there in a few months, actually. Oh. Always drawn back to the cow town, as they called it. I live in a so, cow town. So, yeah, like I was saying, anyway, my <laughs> brother, even ever since he moved to Ohio, he's actually been seeing my parents a lot more somehow. I don't know how that works, but hey, it works. So that's why I, Mother's Day freed me up. And I got to tell you, this was, this was weird because I went to, I, I got to Underground Retrocade probably 1, 1.30-ish, and it was just freaking dead. Really? I was, I think I was the only one there for a long time. What day was this? A Saturday? This was Mother's Day. Oh, Mother's Day, the Sunday. That's right. A little while after I come in, there's a small family who walks in and, I, and the mom said, what? Nobody wants to play video games? I'm officially the coolest mom around. <laughs> awesome. And so you know, I'm, I'm playing a few games and probably about an hour or two goes by and I look up and suddenly like the place is jammed. It's like everybody went to play video games like after Mother's Day brunch was over yeah, or something. I was like, whoa. It. And yeah, when it was families and stuff. I was like, what the heck happened here? There's a lot here? of cool families out there. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's even, if the kids are of a certain age, it's just the father promises to just get the children out of the house and let the mom have like a nap. You know, that's there are a lot of moms there too, though. Huh? No kidding. So I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and while I was there and Jimmy G will especially appreciate this. Oh, I was playing either one of the turbo Pac-Man games. I know big shock. It was either Miz or junior. And I overheard somebody next to me say, it was a, it was a kid who said, Hey mom, they have Galaga. And the mom said, I know I played Galaga a while ago. Oh my. So I was like, whoa, that's two people who said Galaga. Interesting. That's, that's that one is interesting. One pronunciation you never hear. Yeah, that's... Other than from that one blog I saw. Right. Galaga. That just makes me sad. Just a little sad inside. <laughs> Which we all know it's Galaga. Do you know the story that I'm talking about, Ed? I don't know the blog thing. I mean, the, okay. the Galaga versus... Galaga is a you know well known thing, but um. oh, here's the deal. Some I think it was uh, our first year doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. I did a search for pronunciation of Galaga. Uh, excuse me, 
And that was the first hit. And and actually, that second thing there was yeah. the correct way to pronounce it. What, that burp? Yes, yeah. I agree. But one of the hits I got was from a blog entry from someone who actually spoke to somebody who worked at Midway at the time. And he said, can you settle this once and for all? What's the pronunciation of this Galaxian sequel? And I couldn't tell exactly what he meant by the way he was typing it. So I actually emailed him. Is the middle syllable lag as in you're lagging behind and falling behind or log as in a piece of wood you chop? He said lag right, with emphasis on that syllable. So he, he said that's what they all said. It was galaga. Wait. I, Ga- Galaga or Galag? You're saying Galaga? Galaga is... We've heard it. Galaga, Galaga, and some nut calls it Galaga. I'm trying to remember who it was. And yeah, that person. Good Lord. The guy that pronounces it correctly because the first game in the series was Galaxian. So why wouldn't it be called Galaga then? It's Galaxian. The first game wasn't Galaxian. The first name wasn't Galaxian either, so... No, no but it's an adjectival form of galaxy. And it's wrong, too. Oh, so it's really supposed to be Galaxy? So I'm right. So, but that's that's beside the point right now. Will somebody from mid from and no from Namco please settle this? The please, thing is, please. here on Wikipedia they have the correct pronunciation. Well, what they they claim is the correct pronunciation, but there's no like audio thing to. No, I'll sound tell it you up. what. I'll tell you how I pronounce it. I don't pronounce it because I don't like any of the Galaxian games. Well, there you go. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah, really. And having said that, I'm probably going to get the Champ Games homebrew of Galaga on the 2600. Do you not? Because I'm that much of a fool, and it's that good. Sorry, go ahead, Ed. Do you not like any of the whole, you know, category? They're all Sons of Space Invaders, as far as I'm concerned. So are you, like, how do you feel about, you know, any of them as far as, like, uh, on consoles, Spider Fighter and... Mega Man, any of that stuff of things oh, coming those. down as you go back and forth on that one axis. Do you not like any of those games in particular? Oh, I love those. It's just the Galaxian series just bores me. Oh. oh. It's, it just seems that there's no point to it. You know? <laughs> so I don't, Space Invaders, you're defending territory. See, I don't know. We've had this discussion, but I always liked the, uh, the first uh, Galaxian sequel. But um, I've had a hard time getting into to Galaxian, with the exception of the... Uh, Atari 8-bit and 5200 version, because there's a bug in it. Trackball. Well, I've never had the uh, the 5200 trackball, so I can't comment on that, but there's a, a variation. Well, there's a bug in the game where you see the missile coming out of the top of your ship, and if an alien hits that missile while it's on your ship, your ship doesn't get destroyed, because the missile destroys it. And if you play it on the teddy bear version, where nothing fires at you, it could create a variation where you have to purposely crash into the enemies. And uh, that's a lot of fun to do. Yeah, that, that to me was a revelation The on the 5200, where it turns out it's it's programmed for analog, and so you can really play that thing. And then it just plays like, it, it feels like Centipede, except, of course, the dynamic of the, the enemies is, is so different. And, and that really is a blast. It, it, to me, it took the whole category up a notch. It's what my I, favorite version, even over the arcade. Here's a project for you. The sit-down <laughs> version of Galaxian, I don't know about the sequel, but Galaxian had, instead of a little joystick, oh, yeah. it had a lever, a left-right lever. lever. That yes. thing's weird as hell. I mean, that is a hard way to play that game. I don't know why. It could be worse. Have you ever played a sit-down Tron? A sit-down oh, Tron? No, I never have. I never there was only a handful of them, and surprisingly, uh, a guy that lived five or six miles from me uh, had one. He was selling it at a garage sale. Uh, come to find out, this guy, we, 
uh, was actually someone that was in my high school graduating class and I didn't recognize him. Uh, unfortunately, he passed from cancer, which was why he was selling his stuff. But uh, oh. the, uh, the fire button, it has the knob and it has a regular four-way, regular four-way joystick, but the um, it's like a little metal switch on the knob for uh, of the joystick knob for your fire button. It was really awkward to play. Mm, that does sound awkward. Well, that's yeah, the problem with that Galaxian cocktail is that your hand is not really in the right angle to turn that thing from side. It just feels so unnatural mm. to play it that way. I would still love to try something like that to see just, oh, maybe you could use it for something else. I don't know. Like uh, Danger Death Ray. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'll take some of those switches. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I've been doing a few things as far as game playing goes. But uh, I'm going to hold off on that. Yeah, yeah. aside from Underground Retrocade, I've oh. done no gaming whatsoever. Oh, there you go. I just, I just haven't. I'm going to hold my stuff aside because it might be germane to our conversation here. Oh, I'm going to be Tito to our conversation. Well, I've been... Um... That makes you LaToya. <laughs> I guess it does. And I'm happy with that. I can live with that. <laughs> no judgment. I've been playing Circus Atari, the original. On oh, the, nice. On the, the 2600 cart, the original cart that I got from my, I sort of usurped my stepfather's collection. My stepdad and my mom hooked up when I was about maybe 12 or 13, and he had an, a, a 2600 and a bunch of text label carts for it. And when my mom arrived on the scene, his video game... <laughs> Playing days were over because she was not going to tolerate a grown man playing video oh, games. Oh, <laughs> jeez. So I got them, and that circus story was right in that set, and I've been, it's funny to think, playing that exact cartridge for, God, 35 years. But to me, it's this whole idea of co- funny controls or interesting controls. To me, the Atari 2600 really came out swinging as far as having not just a joystick, but a set of really good paddle controllers, and then an you know, underutilized a driving controller with an optical encoder and then keypads. I mean, they really did some interesting things that yeah. other consoles you just sort of had a stick for or or those dreadful telephone style things. And I really love that the Atari came out and even in back in the day that they had, you know, all these different interesting controllers that you could plug in and get a whole different game out. So I've been playing Circus Atari. That's the uh, short answer. And I just came back from a trip where I didn't have access to anything except my phone. And... I don't know. Phone games. Yeah. Yeah, they're just not the, it's just not the same, but you know, you're stuck on an airplane for 10 hours and uh. I ended up downloading a game. Uh, when I came back from college one time, like for, you know, a weekend or a break or something, my stepmom had gotten a Game Boy, first time I'd ever seen one, and was playing Dr. Mario on it. And boy, I fell in love with that game right away and went looking and before I went on this vacation and, and downloaded a copy of a game ingeniously similar called Dr. Virus. And it really just, you know, it's just a straight up ripoff of Dr. Mario, uh, except for the groovy music. And so I played quite a bit of that over the last two weeks and will probably never play it again. (laughs) You know, when it comes to mobile games, the ones I always go back to are any of the puzzle games from Everett Kayser Software. The very first game he did that I played was called Sherlock on the PC. It was a DOS game. Then he released a Windows version. Then he released a game called Honeycomb Hotel, which uh, is similar. You just got to figure out stuff, you know, from the clues. And um, when I found out he did this stuff on mobile, I'm like, holy crap, I have to spend some bucks on this. Because I bought a few of, uh, one of, you know, I think that's the only uh, PC shareware stuff I ever spent money on now that I think about it. And then I bought uh, some of his games, which is one of the few uh, mobile games I ever spent money on. And um, 
He's got several different versions of the games. It just basically determines the number of puzzles. He's got the free one, which has only got like 100, maybe 200 puzzles. But then he's got them, a bunch of different packs of them with like up to 64,000 different puzzles and stuff. And uh, they're really, really fun, um, I think. But um, I need to purchase the Sherlock. Are they graphical or are they? Yeah, they're graphical. DOS-based like text. No, they're graphical on the uh, on Android. I don't know if does he have it on iPhone. I think he does. I have to but, check that out. I've never but, heard of uh, Kaser K A S E R dot com. You can go to his website. He's got a and he's still creating new games. He's been must programming uh, these puzzle games for like over 30 years now. Wow. So, uh, yeah, he's been doing this for quite some time. I think the first time I ever saw one of his games was like in 92, 93, something like that. So uh, that guy sees puzzles in his dreams. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The guy's got to be a brain to create some of the stuff he comes up with. Like if you play Tetris too long and then you just see the shapes drifting down when you close oh, your yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's see. The other one of his games that I have purchased, which I don't have installed on my phone currently, is Willa's Walk. Honeycomb hotels, you like got this honeycomb, and you got to figure out which like beehive, which animal, letter, uh, plant, vegetable, whatever goes in which spot, and then you got to figure out the path to each honeycomb without doubling back or making more than two exits from uh, from any given cell. And then Willow's Walk, it's similar except all you got to do is figure out the path from room to room. And if you get stuck, it has a uh, it has like a guessing feature. You just click tap if and then you can make guesses and if you get it right it uh it'll let you keep your uh keep your guesses and um i don't use that that often i just like to guess <laughs> but uh sometimes but uh still it's um those are those are kind of fun games i kind of like them so you might want to check those out i don't know if i've ever mentioned those on the podcast before i may have but well the thing i think when the mobile works best is when it's not trying to be some other system or console, like, you know, a 2600 game on the phone is that that doesn't work at all, but it just has to be its own thing. And those, those games can be fun and you've got it in your pocket and you're stuck somewhere. They're fun to, yeah. fun to play mm-hmm. across. The yeah. Road. They don't work on a phone. They work a little bit. Okay. On a tablet, but you know, um, we got a little bit of news. Oh, do tell. We are, uh, Pi factory is finally on a trading card. In the Walter Yay. Day collection, number 3093. I'm not sure where you purchased these because I'm on Walter Day's website and I don't see a store here. So I'm going to have to... F- well, they know better than to spend money on yeah. our pictures. Yeah, that's true. So. But uh, if you go into the collection gallery esports section, we are number 3093. They don't have the image of our card up yet, but uh, it'll be there soon because they just released 100 cards for Walter Day's 70th birthday. We're actually in the column on the same page... Underneath uh, several spot, a uh, few spots underneath uh, Sean Holly. Oh, no kidding! And uh, Victor Marlin is just up one into the right of him. Actually, we're just below uh, Tim Kitzrow. So there you we go. Became uh, Facebook friends with Sean uh, like a week ago. Oh. I'd like to say that Sean and Victor are nice guys, but uh, I'd like to. I'd but... like to, but I can't because they haven't paid me in a while. So yeah, well, actually they have, but I don't know what a, a pound or a euro or whatever uh, play money they're using over there now is worth. I thought is all it? their transactions were in biscuits. Biscuit, you know what? You're right. Their transactions are in biscuits. The and, universal currency. You know, I picked up one of those one pound notes when they were in. Time. I said, "Let me hear. Let me give me that thing." And I held it for. I was like, "There's no way this is a pound. <laughs> don't you people know how to weigh things? It doesn't even an ounce." <laughs> These are the jokes, folks. Um, 
Can you tell well, me? Well, any joke worth doing is worth overdoing. <laughs> no, no, I gotta <sighs> find out where to buy these uh, cards now. Are they available yet, though? That's the thing. They they were unveiled, but right. The, but I don't think yeah. you can buy them off of his website. Well, they're trading cards. You have to trade for them. So, what do you do? Like, bring a couple of deer carcasses or pelts or something, and offer a trade? Or I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. See, I never collected football cards or baseball cards or anything, so I don't know how they how they're supposed to work. I used to have a decent pile of Star Wars and like Close Encounters. Oh, I had Close oh, Encounters God, of third kind trading go. cards. Those were cool. Yeah, but I got uh, I lost mine because being the person that everybody picked on, um, I was uh, blackmailed out of them. So oh my God, that sucked. You got bullied yep. out of your cards. That sucks. Yeah. So that that sucked. So, uh, gosh, where the heck do you purchase these things? Okay, if you go to the... I don't think you can purchase ours just yet, but uh, if you go into the articles uh, and news and stories, there's a uh, place there. There's an article there somewhere. Oh, yeah, contribute to the trading card project. Uh, You can buy some of them there. I have to get more into this here. I'm sure they'll list it a little after a while. But at any rate, so yeah, we're on there. And uh, as soon as we figure out 100% where to get them, we'll uh, let you all know. Because uh, we're nothing if not egoists. Egotists. Egotists? Yeah, yeah that's it. Hey, do we get a, do we get a cut of, a, of the sales? I don't remember if uh, Walter... Uh... Well, if they throw them at us really in the right way, I'm, we will get oh, that cut is true. by them. So. Yeah. The paper cut of the sales? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I have right now. Uh, do we have any addenda and errata? Or any more news? I don't know if we have any addenda or errata, but uh, I figured I wasn't going to bring anything up because, like, this is a different episode from what we usually do. Okay. Well, if we so, if you have something you want to bring up, that's I don't that's know. Fine. Unless either of you guys has some has anything that we got wrong or forgot to mention. Well, um, or intentionally didn't mention, and you don't like that. Well, I'm sure we'll have some news or something to talk about or something. I don't know. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. This is the second week in a row I belched. This is that's your job. What what's going on here? What do you guys think of the Atari VCS's controls that they you know they just oh oh hold it hold it. It's time for another edition of everything we know about the Atari box. I thought we were done with that. All right, so the controls. What were you saying, Ed? Well, the, I just in the last day or two saw that they've uh, talking more about their pair of controllers. You know, as far as news, there's the, they've got one that basically looks like a CX40, and then another one that looks like an Xbox controller. The, uh, the yeah, version I of did the CX40 those, yeah. looks like it's got a well like that old uh, Point Master joystick, and you put your thumb like right where the it goes down in, and uh, you know, kind of hurts your thumb. That's what it looks like. I was amused by the page uh, last night. I was going to comment, but I'm like, you know what, Flojo Mojo on Atari Age will probably comment on it first, so I'll let him do it. They have a picture on there of an Atari joystick, and it says CX-40. Uh, But if you look at it, it is not a CX-40 they have on there because it says Atari in the upper right corner of the joystick. And a CX-40 does not have the word Atari or the Atari logo there. It was quite obviously not a CX-40. It's obvious these people behind the Atari VCS don't care about Atari. They just want to whore the name out like the little, I don't know. I'd know what, they want to whore the name out, but I was going to say make some sort of connection to the world's oldest profession, but thinking about it, um, that's la- actually a lot more honest than Atari these days. So I'm not going to make that illusion. But yeah, they have no clue what they're doing, and I'm just laughing at everybody that are still like all excited about this. It's been two years. 
Uh, they've just changed the processor, and yet last summer they posted pictures of games playing on the uh, the VCS. Come to find out, though, that was all faked. Oh, um, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. It was all faked. And uh, they were saying something like, um, you know, these are just artists' renditions of what's... Uh, what this is going to be, and I believe they also said something about Tempest 4000 coming out on it, but uh, there's no contract or any ink uh, dried or anything on any of that. Just wishful thinking, and um, eh, it uh, almost sounds like a stock pump and dump scheme to me, but that's just yeah. me. Yeah, we stopped talking about it just for that reason, because we are just kind of tired about it. In fact, <laughs> I don't think any podcasts are covering it really too much anymore. That means we're the only ones. Well, they've talked about it a little You've bit heard on it a few. Only but... on Pie Factory podcast, everybody. Yeah, how long has it been since we uh, did it, though? So I don't know. A few episodes. It's not been that long. So is that everything then? We all we all good. Yeah, yeah, that's this has been another edition of everything we know about the Atari box. There is the um, Retron just announced uh, like a few days ago a new controller. Oh, that might be the one that I'm thinking of, Is that the actually. joystick? It's kind of got, like, the orange label, and the edges are kind of, like, on an angle to to hurt your hand less. Yeah. It, it looks like a form-fitting CX-40 in a way. Well, no, no. This one looks more, it's more like a, um, you know, a D-pad style. Oh, really? Deal. It's It has wood grain. Of course, there's the one that looks like a CX-40, but there's another one that they just announced a few days ago that is, you know, more of a modern style thing it's funny looking though it's interesting it's kind of wood grain on one side and black on the other yeah yeah okay yeah i did not see it yeah it's a paddle joystick okay i did not see this interestingly send me a link to that i'm not seeing it here that does look pretty uh pretty weird pretty spiffy, pretty interesting. i hate to say it but it does look uh i don't know why i hate to say it is uh, i'm just kind of skeptical about like everything mainly because i'm in a I'm in a weird mood right now. It's called getting old. Then <laughs> speak for yourself, Bubs. I'm just warning you. That's all. <laughs> oh, I've been like this my whole life. Oh, well, it's hard to tell. Even I like. I'm not even sure if you're looking at the picture. I'm not even sure. Is it a D-pad or is it like what's that dial on the end? There? Yeah, it's. You see that roller? Well, looking? let me see. Oh, oh, that looks interesting. Isn't that it weird? does, doesn't like, it? Look at um, the black section. Hmm. There's a, a little wheel, like a thumb wheel. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. The guy in the video is like actually showing like like showing it at all angles. It's not a D pad. It is a very short like joist, oh. kind of like one of those analog thumbsticks on a modern controller. It looks kind of like that. Oh, okay. What's that like domed looking thing that looks like a Dungeons and Dragons dice in the black part? It's kind of got a. You see what I, I mean? I wouldn't know what you're know talking about. What that about. thing is. I don't. <laughs> I need to watch that video. I I don't. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know. Well, just that sort of geometric dice shape is what I mean. It's not a circle. I mean, it's not. A, it's oh yeah, that yeah, that's the thing I was oh, talking about. It looks like an analog the joystick. Joystick. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's something interesting and different. You know, it's not just a. Ooh, that the way that that panel works is interesting. Is he using it with a twenty six hundred? Uh, seventy eight hundred. He's using it oh, with no, a junior. A junior actually. I'm sorry. Oh, nice. Is he using it for the... 50 bucks! Oh, he's using it with the 7800 later in the video. Oh. Oh, okay. He's using it with Crazy Bricks, actually. So it's got a second fire button? You know what? That looks like it's it might got... actually work really nice. Yeah, except it's left-handed. Oh. Actually, if you're using a paddle, I don't think it matters. And there could be a switch. Well, no, it doesn't matter. And and if it's uh, it, it's possible, it could have a switch on the bottom to switch that around. I don't know. 
there is something on the edge of it that he has, he has a label. He has something taped on uh, two different parts of it that has a label, and I can't tell what it says. Oh, that's the uh, Immortal John, Han- John Hancock's page. Oh, oh nice. okay. All right. Okay. I like that. I like his uh, YouTube channel, even though I don't subscribe to it. Well, I'm talking about, you know, philosophically, I don't subscribe to it. But um, there was one other uh, thing. I, I just saw this today pop up on my Facebook feed. I don't see him playing Crazy Bricks, by he's, the way. He's playing Crazy Bricks in that video. Are you sure it's Crazy Bricks? Because I see him playing Breakout. you got to scroll about two-thirds, uh, three-quarters of the way through. It's there. Trust me. Give me a timestamp. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. There it is. Okay. Oh, man, I want to play Crazy Bricks now, but I can't because I have to record a podcast. I need to uh, fill my uh, 7800... Uh collection up but um oh i am i am glad that ed brought this up because it does fit in kind of with what we're talking about uh, it does today. actually and so, and actually so does this thing i, I just saw it today that I, I wanted to just briefly talk about oh that wart on your finger actually that might be cancer oh well that kind of sucks no actually i think that is a wart okay at any rate well that sucks too there's a company called panic which is an, a mac and ios uh, software company uh, they revealed a new pocket handheld game console. It's uh, called the Playdate. It looks like a small, short Game Boy. It's got the standard, you know, D-pad, A and B button, but it all it also has a crank. Yeah, what's the crank for? You knew what I was talking about. I guess from the video, one of the games actually uses the crank. I thought it, at first it was just like maybe a Game Boy compatible that has like a crank battery charger, like uh, emergency telephones and stuff do. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I was thinking, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Like a crank, you know, to, to charge up the battery. You don't have to power it up. Just five minutes and uh, keeps your kids out of your hair. Well, maybe it won't. But uh, if you look in one video on the page, uh, on one of the pages here, they actually use the crank in the gameplay to make this this guy run and like stop and smell flowers and reverse and um it's it's interesting it uh, kind of reminds me in a way of the arcade game prop cycle huh. i don't know if you guys yeah. have seen that one but it's like a giant bicycle and you're like flying through hoops and stuff like that uh i think i've seen that difficult difficult game because you got to keep you got to keep pedaling and just sean and i how we ride bicycles it's even tough for us well it's not not like that's a stretch for me because i'm out of shape but uh oh please you've gotten on your bicycle more this year than i have i was on my bicycle literally an hour ago i was on a riding lawnmower literally an hour ago so i think that's the crank there is it's attention grabbing but it's poor design because it's a moving part it's another thing that's gonna go wrong yep i would have to agree with you but i don't think this is made for like well, what was it? Um, let's see. And it's got games that you can only access during certain times of years. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and uh, let me see here. There was a great, I saw a great interview with the guy who's like, he said basically like, we always have bad ideas at this company and this is just another one. Uh, I don't see how we'll break even on it. I think this is the guy that runs the company. <laughs> well, hey, at least being honest. Oh, heck yeah. You know, that, which which makes I me actually admire. want one. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so it's called the Playdate. It's by a company called Panic. Let's see if I can find that interview. Do they have a? They don't have a disco. Thank you. Uh, I guess that's that for that. So, um, so shall we get into the meat of our episode then? Oh yes. man, yeah. Let's, let's have some meat. So first of all, Ed, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? 
Well, I'm Ed Kelly. I'm the owner of Edladen Controllers. We build arcade controllers for the Atari 2600-7800 and the related 8-bit computers, really anywhere you could use uh, a CX-40. And then also the ColecoVision. We, we build a controller, arcade controller for the ColecoVision. That's our, our lineup right now. We've been in business for, gosh, we started in November of 2014. So, gosh, like four and a half years of building controllers. and It seems like it's been longer than that. It does. Does it really? <laughs> yeah, I mean. The only reason I say that it seems longer is because I've been going through the back catalog of uh, antic podcast interviews, and I stumbled upon one where they talked to you. Of course, I don't remember a word of it. Yeah, it's similar. It's the yeah. So we do that. We also build a, a little adapter that allows you to use your the Genesis family of Sega yes. Genesis controllers with the Atari seventy eight hundred. Aside from that, you know, I'm a I'll be turning fifty this year. So you know, Ooh, youngster twenty six hundred when I was uh, eleven. Uh, um, excuse me, uh, sorry, Ed. Um, Ed's about to turn fifty. You call him a youngster. I'm 50. I'm forty four, and you call me old. The new math. That's right. The new it's a rounding sorry, error. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's yeah, a rounding Ed. error. Yes. <laughs> Ed, please do go on. I, I deeply apologize. Well, anyway, I was just you know going to say that. Um, so I've been you know playing these these games. I was just fascinated with them right from the beginning, and definitely been long for the ride. Certainly, anything that you'd consider retro, I was playing. Although I, I'm really not up on modern consoles at all. I, my most modern console is a Dreamcast that I bought. A year ago. And so, uh, it's much more modern than anything I have. We've got a Switch. Oh, how do you the like the Switch? Is it fun? I haven't really played it that much. My kids have been playing most of it. We kind of need new Joy-Cons because the one's kind of gone a little wonky. Super Mario Odyssey is one of the best games I've ever played in my life. It is amazing. It is an amazing game. The only problem is I couldn't. I can't get past the third boss yet. My kids have already solved the game. Figure that out. And um, they just released Cuphead for it, mm. and uh, they're coming out with another Super Mario Maker, a Switch version of that, which I'm looking forward to uh, possibly getting. We didn't have the original, but I played a... Where did I play around with it? I think it was just on a display at a store. And I'm like, this is really awesome, creating your own levels. Then I got watching some of the videos on YouTube of people creating impossible Super Mario levels. And uh, some of the levels that people are creating on that thing were insane. So it's a fun little system, and it's uh, actually, if you look at some of the, I don't have a list right now, but if you look uh, in through the catalog of games that uh, you can uh, purchase, it's really becoming the uh, the modern retro machine of choice because they have a whole huge back catalog that they're uh, slowly but surely making available, and it uh, seems to be better than anything coming out on the PS4 or uh, whatever crap Microsoft is pushing these days. So it's um, interesting. So yeah, so it's... Uh, like I said, my kids love it. My my son was playing it when I got home today. And it's a, a portable and a console. It's like New Shimmer, which is the floor wax and the dessert topping. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a console and a portable, so you could take it anywhere with you or play it on the TV. That, that I do like that concept. And, and, and you just plug great. a cord into it, or how do you get it? It's got a dock. It's got a docking station. It's, um, oh. I mean, you could take the, the thing, the At Games little handheld uh, units... Uh, do have like you could put a cable in there and then hook it up to your TV so you can also play it that way. Oh, by the way, apparently uh, the uh, Joy-Con is not Beagle proof. 
Yes, I think I remember. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember what you're talking about. Wasn't it a video or something? No, it was. Uh, or just an uh, article. It was uh, Vert Vic's uh, yes. Monster Beagle Haruki. Yes. yes, 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 yes. That's what it was. Yes, yes. Vert Vic Vipers. That's one thing you do hate about the kind of uh, the little thumbsticks on modern controllers is like the the rubber stuff on those wear off. But I guess you could probably replace it somehow. But Oh, what a guess. So, Ed, uh, so what was your impetus to uh, start making um, more arcade-style controllers? What got you involved in that? How did you start? You know, I had a 2600 back in the day and a 5200, and then I, I really migrated into PC gaming early on and didn't hang with the... The point is, I never had a 7800, so when I got interested in, in the retro movement, you know, probably, gosh, 10 years ago... Right away, the seventy eight hundred just it it seemed like it really had some of the, was going to have some of the strongest ports of the golden era arcade games that I really love the most. You know the Robotron and and Joust and that sort of thing. And bought a lot off of eBay. You know, probably a dozen games with it and a couple of those uh, CX forty two controllers and or CX twenty fours. What are they called? They're not CX seventy eights like you would think. But anyway. And right away, it was like, okay, this is terrible. I mean, the game looks great. Like, Joust looks awesome, and but it was killing me. You know, the I found out about why, why it was called a pain line right away. And so <laughs> yeah. I just assumed that, like the 2600 and then to, you know, the 2600, you guys remember, they're just... There were a million controllers available for that thing, you know, 83, 84, and oh, really yeah. right up into the big flight stick looking things and some arcade stuff and even just a knob you could stick on the top of your CX-40 and all these different options. And so I was just, I thought, oh, well, there must be, somebody must have built a, a decent controller, a Wico for the 7800. And then when I went to eBay and then through the Atari age, you know, just found out like, no, it never happened. It, it kind of flopped so quickly that that there wasn't anything in the secondary market to, to buy. And so yeah. I really just put one together, built an arcade controller just for my own, you know, my own amusement. And it was so much better. It was just such a giant improvement. And all at once, these games were like red hot as opposed to being, you know, basically unplayable. Like you, you can't play joust with one of those controllers. The, oh, you wear your thumb oh no. no, you can't, you know, it's just not possible. And the game looks so great on screen and, I just thought, well, you know, we were already in the small electronics and slash mail order business anyway, so it really wasn't such a stretch. Or, you know, that was my logic. It turned out to be a huge amount of work. But <laughs> at the time, I was thinking, well, this will be easy. You know, I can <laughs> throw up a website and, and, you know, see if anybody else wants any of these. You can make 10 as, you know, almost How did as that easy. work out? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it's totally been worth it. You know, the relationships, the friendships, the opportunities, and... Just the feedback I get about the controllers, you know, we just passed the, we've we've shipped, uh, I think it's now like 258 controllers, but we wow. passed that 250 wow. mark and, and like 300 of those little adapters, which is crazy. And just all those folks that are like being able to play these games, you know, like it was really Willie Culver that came up with this slogan, but to be able to play the games the way they were meant to be played, it was just so enticing and and I have to admit, you know, when the when I was a little kid and didn't even really understand what I was saying, the the idea of being connected to the video game business was like something you just fantasized about. It was like silver spoons with having arcade games in your house. And so 
you know, a little tiny piece of it was like, wow, I could be the first third-party controller maker for the 7800. That could be my little claim to fame in the realm of Atari. And that was just, uh, that was kind of irresistible to be able to do that. So that was that was how I got rolling. And, uh, you know, just came, came up with a few designs that I thought were cool and played really well and just threw them out there to see what, what people liked. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. So... Now you've got the um, your controllers for the seventy eight hundred. Why don't you go and uh, tell us your different uh, controllers uh, that you've got uh, currently for sale? What we have right now, let's see, we've got a, a super seventy eight. That's a, a single stick controller with a. In fact, we're just transitioning with that one right now, where it's always been you you would sort of pick a left hand or right hand layout where the stick is on one side and the two buttons are on the other side. And we've just actually changed gears on that and are uh, making it an ambidextrous stick where the stick is in the center and you have two pair of buttons just because, you know, I know this is something we, Sean, you and I have talked about that (laughs) you switch hands depending what game you're playing, which, which the dominant hand is like if I'm, if the firing has to be real precise, I want my right hand on the fire buttons and my left hand on the stick. But if it's, if precision, you know, quote unquote driving is real important, I tend to, like Pac-Man, any maze game, I've got my right hand on the stick. And so I just thought, you know, I don't even, you know, for throwing a couple extra buttons in there, we can really change the uh, dynamic quite a bit as far as what kind of uh, play value people have with those things. So there's the, that's the Super 78. And then, um, and you can, again, you can use that with the 7800 or the 2600 family. Uh, we make a super twin 78, which you guys have championed so nobly, which is really a dual stick controller. It, it has two complete control sets in in the same 14 inch case. And so it was really designed for Robotron 2084, the, the great 7800 port. And that's another one. We're actually making a shift on that one as well, where ordinarily the, the both sticks are on the left, you know, the stick on the left and the buttons on the right. And we're actually about to make a, a switch on that where the standard arrangement will be that the sticks are on the outside and the buttons are all on the inside, so to speak. And hmm. the idea is that if you're playing Robotron, it won't really make any difference. You'll have a hand on either stick. It'll play the same. But if you're playing a single stick and button game, which is you know the vast majority of them, you'll have that same capability to have a left-hand, right-hand experience by just switching to which set you're using. So you yeah. can use the left-hand set if you want that left-hand stick. And if you're playing a maze game, you jump over and use the right-hand control set. And again, it's like, you know, really doesn't cost us any, any more or anything else. Just finally struck me thinking about this whole thing that we could just uh, mirror image that, that right-hand set. And then you'd really have the best of all features in the on that one controller. So that's the Super Twin 78. We made and, and sold quite a few Supreme 78s, which are sticks that have either a, a leaf joystick and leaf buttons, classic uh, metal connection, electrical connection, or a an Omni 4.8 stick that allows you to switch between a four-way gate and an eight-way gate just by tilting up this hinged lid. But um, we've been out of stock on those for a little while because uh, the instrument panel or the control panel are actually the front doors of the server cases that we buy to, to turn into audio amplifiers. And we, we buy them, you know, in batches of 25 or 30 at a time. And then, uh, so when we do, we, we end up with a bunch of Supreme 78 panels, but I haven't been able to get the 
you know, they come from China, like most anything. And I've been trying to buy the the front panels independently of the server cases because it turns out we sell more Supremes than we do amplifiers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they've been stuck in limbo for a little while until our uh, sound therapy business, which is the main business that really pays everybody's salaries, until that business catches up. And then the ColecoVision, those controllers uh, are Sanwa joysticks with a four-button arrangement that kind of mirror the the old super action controller so you can play a really fantastic port of spy hunter on the uh, ColecoVision with that arcade joystick and that's been very popular as well the ColecoVision people you know their controller is even you know more of a disaster than the 7800 controller in a way it's well to be so huge. to be fair, I was going to say to be fair I never really hated the ColecoVision controller myself, but uh, the ColecoVision flashback that came out later, even though it had the 9-pin, uh, the DB9 port, uh, you couldn't use the actual ColecoVision controllers on it. And the joystick was much worse because like the knob had no throw whatsoever. Uh, it, it might as well not have had throw, uh, whereas at least you got some with the ColecoVision controller. Yeah, that was a little bit. They're both that little mushroom, though, and it's so wide. I mean, it's that it has that same problem of if you really have a two-button game that only leaves you three fingers to hold onto the mm-hmm. piece, and then you're fighting against it with your every time you move the stick. It's just an ergonomic disaster, and so, and you know, all these games. To me, it's all about the arc. Well, I don't know. There's there's some great games that were originally for these consoles, but you know, you kind of get into it for those golden era arcade games and. You know, when you play Donkey Kong, like that's a fantastic port on the ColecoVision, but you, you know, you you want that ball joystick and big concave, you know, fire buttons. That that's what really feels like Donkey Kong to me, or Zaxxon, or mm-hmm. any of these games. And so that's really the motivation all along was to try and ha- bring that arcade experience a, another notch home with all with all this stuff. And so that's our lineup. Were you working on a USB uh, ColecoVision controller? Oh, yeah, you're right. We did, uh, in the Kickstarter campaign in 2016, we offered and have been, we ended up selling four of them. And I need to add it to the website. That's really the thing. They're not in the store right now, but it's it's totally easy to do. We use the same case, and it's set up like the like the ColecoVision, so you've got the, the keypad, and you can assign any of the buttons. What we do is we use the, um, the IPAC2 or the WinPack system from... Ultimark, which is the, a British uh, like arcade parts company for MAME and anybody mm-hmm. that's building their own stuff. Great, great people over there. And and surprisingly inexpensive to have things, like you'd think it'd be a fortune to have things shipped from the UK, but it's really not so bad. And so we just, you know, the other stuff, we have our own circuit boards and that we've designed and all that stuff. But for that, we just buy that one from them and uh, put it in our, you know, kind of our signature 14 inch case with the the graphics and all that stuff and those have been yeah we've we've sold a few of those and i again i really need to put that in the store because you know we could make those any day of the week they're super easy and and very easy to program you know you can assign the buttons to any Mm -hmm. it just treats them as keystrokes and so it can be whatever you want i keep thinking of of someday i'm gonna someday i'm what would love to get one of those I actually, I think I've told you about this before. That my ultimate goal would be get to get one of those controllers, especially that ColecoVision one, and open up the case and just install a Raspberry Pi inside it, 
and uh, use it just as like a plug-and-play, uh, <laughs> a multi-console plug-and-play controller. Because the one thing I hate about uh, RetroPie on the Raspberry Pi is, you know, play your Atari 2600 game, but then you got to uh, get a different controller and then reprogram everything to play an Intellivision game or a 5200 or an arcade or whatever. And if you could, if there was just like one solution uh, that you could use for every game, that would that your ColecoVision USBs would seem to me to be that one solution because you could pretty much have everything covered with the exception of maybe like, you know, games like, you know, Tron or uh, or even Street Fighter's got a bazillion buttons. But, I mean, other than that, you got 90% of the arcade games and uh, pretty much every console covered uh, with uh, with something like that in a USB format. And it could just plug right into the Pi without any uh, any additional adapters. You know, it's I built one. I built a, um, a Supreme 7, you know, what you'd call a Supreme 78, except with four buttons on each side. Mm-hmm. Three extra function button. I didn't. It doesn't have the keypad. Three extra function buttons so that you could do like, you know, add coin or whatever, and put the rat. And you know, of course, on that one, the panel just tilts up. So I put a Raspberry Pi in there, and I built one and gave it to my sister as a. I mean, call her out on this podcast. I gave it to her as a birthday present. Uh, with the the caveat to the whole thing was that she had to figure out how to put RetroPie on <laughs> And I do believe it stalled out in that uh, step right there, uh, you know, the, the learning curve. And I'm sure it's no big deal, but I haven't, I haven't pushed it either. You know, we got bogged down in these other things. But I was even thinking that same idea. You just deliver a whole arcade in a box. And I was going to call it Edladen's Lamp. <laughs> awesome. But never... Uh, we got it was in the middle of the ColecoVision push, and that was ended up being such a success that we, you know, it took us a year and a half to digest the the, the number of orders that came through the whole thing, and then the waiting list that came after it. But I need to get back on track on that because it was, I had the same thought as you. Like if you could have one, because to me it's all about the controls, and so if you could put right. the RetroPy right in the box, and then you've just got an HDMI cable going out to the to the TV and. Yeah, I guess to a power supply, right? To to drive the the RetroPie, or do they put battery? Can you do a battery solution? How do people do that on a RetroPie? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you can put a you can put a battery. Uh, there is a battery solution for that. Um, it is powered by just a, like a standard USB cable with like a a typical like a cell phone style power plug. Which actually, I was just, um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, speaking of which, uh, I, f- I was looking for a, uh, a replacement power supply for my Atari uh, 65XE, and um, I found a website, uh, who was it, Scott Meredith, one of our listeners, uh, suggested checking out a place called 8bitclassics.com, and they had a power cable for the Atari 8-bit compu- XL and XE computers, and uh it's got the typical Atari computer power supply end, but then the other end is USB, and you can just plug right into a standard cell phone uh, charger. Running by 65XE off of a cell phone charger. That's great. You know, it, we call it the golden age way back then, but we're we're in like a platinum age right now. Yeah, <laughs> right. resources we have, for, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, we're finding all the little tips and tricks uh, on everything. I actually posted a question about it on Atari Age Today in the 7800 forum, and they were, um, <laughs> and uh, about see if they could do something like that with the 7800, but that's a, an entirely different beast. But uh, people are kind of amazed that this sort of a product actually exists for uh, for the 8-bit computers. It doesn't, not for the 400 or the 800, the original, but the XL and XE systems, 
But um, still, it was just it was just freaking amazing because I thought my uh, XC was uh, on the fritz. I thought it was on the fritz, but turns out it's the power supply that's on the fritz. So I'm glad it was nothing serious with the machine. Well, and then the, the somebody came up with I, I'm embarrassed I don't remember their name right now, but something like that for the ColecoVision, which that power supply is you know impossible and you know to try and find a modern replacement and they did you see that they it's a little nugget that just plugs right into the four prongs there and then it's i do believe it is usb on the other side you have to come up with the you know you buy your own cord and whatever wall wart or uh, phone charger type connector just like you said but there's a, a little deal that plugs in there and totally replaces that massive brick and the ColecoVision is such a weirdo anyway if it if it gets like it's supposed to be uh, five volts on two of those legs, and and then one twelve volt. And if the five gets out to like four point seven, it won't work. Your your console's dead. Just a slight variation, relatively speaking. But it's it's amazing the resources that are available to us now, and it's because of the internet, you know. Just well, yeah. It's it's the it's the the marketplace, the marketplace and the bazaar or whatever that was a Linux thing, I guess, but yeah, we've got a lot of people coming together and, um, collaborating and, um, you're finding all of these, uh, interesting new solutions. The only, the only place the 7,800 lacks right now is, uh, is a flash or SD card solution. Mateos was the last, uh, flash card thing available, but, uh, while Mateos seems to have dropped off the face of the earth and there's really been nothing to fill in the, uh, fill in the space there at this point but we I mean we got the atari max uh we got the uno carts we got uh the, the what was it the harmony carts and then of course on the 8-bit computers you get all the sio2 pc to usb to whatever solutions as well and there's just a whole plethora of solutions out there it's just 7800s the, the one place the 7800 is lacking right now with the exception of controllers is hardware development whereas it's like pretty much it's the system that the software developers are flocking to because it's like the dark horse of the Atari family, but it's uh, lagging on the hardware development. I, I kind of wonder if the whole situation with the, uh, the the expansion module might have something to do with that. I don't think so, but I don't know. So um, let me ask you this, Ed. What, uh, when it comes to gaming, what uh, what consoles do you have at home hooked up or ready to be hooked up in a moment's notice? I still have my original Taiwan Light Sixer, so I've got the 2600, the real VCS. Let me just uh, throw that in there. Good <laughs> lord, uh, the the one and only VCS, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I've got a couple of 5200s, uh, a four port and a and a two port. I had a four port as a kid, but that one disappeared while I was in college. And then I guess officially, I you know I have. Three seventy eight hundreds, but two of them are really shop test systems. So when you build something, you can immediately plug it in and you know see if it works. Um, so I've got a, really a seventy eight hundred in the house for playing, and then I've got a ColecoVision, uh, which was not a again the the consoles I had as a kid were the twenty six hundred and the seventy eight hundred or the fifty two hundred. The seventy eight hundred came along more lately, and then the ColecoVision. I had a friend gave me her childhood ColecoVision, and it, it was dead. I sent it to um, James over at Ruggers Customs, and he just, like, transformed that thing, totally revived it, turned it into AV, you know, high-quality AV output and a power adapter and a new switch, just it came back all Cadillac and literally gleaming. And so really for the 
first time been exploring the ColecoVision catalog. Uh, so that's been fun. I was actually uh, shocked uh, to see, and uh, this is actually uh, kind of relevant to, to my family, that there was a prototype for a, uh, well, not a prototype, but there was a game put out by uh, the Caterpillar Tractor Company, and uh, they had these uh, ColecoVision units in their sales offices that played this game where you're, like, driving around a Caterpillar tractor and uh, hauling dirt and stuff. And uh, my... Uh, Sim-style... Sort of, yeah, and it was like my uh, my late father in law used to work for Caterpillar. When I found uh, when they, when this was uh, was this was found, I was like having a lot of fun with this. It was a simple game, but it was kind of a neat uh, marketing idea they had. That is really neat. You know, it's, it makes you think of the old Battlezone Bradley tank thing. You know, I, I guess that's what they. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's just limitless what you could do with some of this old stuff. So anyway, yeah, the Coleco catalog was really new to me, and they, you know, of course they had a couple of huge giants like Zaxxon and the donkey kong games but a, a lot of their stuff they really sort of caught up the the odds and ends of the arcade world you know the the gremlin games yeah. the the lesser sega games the universal games and uh and at the time you know i wasn't necessarily playing ladybug in the arcade i was playing ms pac-man and so it's been fun to dig deeper into that kind of the second tier as opposed to the superstar games and aside from that i have a um I have an At Games little Sega Genesis, which I know people rail against that thing, but I never had a Sega Genesis, and so I don't know. I can't <laughs> tell the like I can't tell that the music is not right. It's like, but honestly, I don't I don't play it so often. I pull it out once in a while. My wife likes to play. It is a decent little handheld. It's the the only problem I had with it was the sound. That is was it bad? It, the, yeah. the sound it was it didn't lag. Tune. It just well yeah, it was just I, I thought it was slow. more out of tune than yeah. anything. Yeah, no, it was supposedly. Flat. Yeah, I don't know if it's flat because maybe it operates slightly slower than it should, or yeah, if it's flat so just because it's flat. Oh, it's flat by a half yeah, step. I, well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I can't really, you know. Anyway, so, but I, I don't play it honestly. I just don't pull it up. And I have the, I don't have the portable. I have the, the sort of, so to speak, console version that's meant to be used with a TV. Uh, so I have that, and then I have a PS One. I bought, you know, for fifty bucks several years ago and i i really all i i play on that is the tekken 2 you know once in a while we'll pull it out and have a big week-long tekken fest and then it kind of goes back in the back in the cupboard for a while although i, I did end up starting to play some of the drive like gran turismo is a lot of fun uh driving games and then uh, again this dreamcast that i picked up uh, a little while you know really just probably a year and a half ago and all I play on that is uh, Soul Calibur and then uh, like Sega GT and I just just got the um, what is that the the Atari racing game Rush the Rock the home version mm-hmm. of that which is pretty good on the Dreamcast a kind of a couple of, like the Dreamcast Cubert which is a lot of fun really takes the whole Cubert idea out to the you know the nth degree as far as not just a pyramid but like all kinds of funny mazes and that's been fun so the Dreamcast has been. It's been uh, fun to explore that one a little bit. But honestly, you know, any given day you walk in the house, it's the 7800 sitting there or the 5200. I, I tend to spend most of my time on those two consoles, really. But that's it. Oh, I do have a Coleco Telstar Ranger, which was Ooh. strictly, that was my very first console. Dad brought it back from a yard sale, 10 bucks. Classic uh, first gen, you know, there's like, four versions of pong and then um a light gun thing looks like a dirty hairy revolver but you could play huh. like a skeet 
you know, just a bouncing cube and you could light gun that thing. But of course, I don't have a TV set that'll uh, accommodate that right this minute. And so I haven't actually played the light gun. I have this, I picked it up off eBay. The, the, long, the original is long gone, but uh, that, that sure takes me back. Before I got my 2600, it was, it was that thing for an, a year or two. Master right. the art of playing pong by yourself, you know. Was, uh... <laughs> yeah, I had, um, I, we actually had the, I think, was it the original Telstar? It had, it was like the white with the fake wood grain sticker, and it had the pong, it had the, the tennis, uh, hockey, and handball on it. That was my first console. Me and my brother used to play it a lot, then it got shoved away, and then for some reason we uh, we found it again, and we started playing it again, and then... At that point was uh, when we got the uh, <laughs> the 7800 for Christmas. Not the 7800, the 2600. Let me rephrase that. I bought 7800 uh, when I actually worked at Toys R Us in the 80s. Let's see. Right now, what do I have hooked up? I, I've got my 7800 hooked up and my Sega Master System hooked up. And I don't know if you've been following some of the threads on Atari Age, but um, there's a, a company called 8BitDo, 8BitDo, however you want to pronounce it, and they make a lot of like Bluetooth controllers uh, in the classic NES style. I've got two of them right here. I got the, uh, what is this? The NES 30 Pro controller. It's uh, designed like the NES uh, gamepad, except it's rounded and it's got two thumbsticks on it. Uh, that's a Bluetooth controller. And then I got, they also have an arcade stick with eight buttons on it. Uh, those are all Bluetooth, but they also make a Bluetooth dongle. It's a DB9. And I've been doing a lot of testing with this uh, with this sucker. The only two consoles I've tried it on that don't work. Well, I'm I'm assuming it's not going to work on my uh, the At Games um, ColecoVision flashback because the original ColecoVision controllers won't work on that. So why would this? It's totally different. Yeah. So, Scheme. but it, the only two things I have tried it on that it does not work on are the Atari 65XE computer and the um, At Games Legends flashback. The reason why I got this Bluetooth dongle, and I uh, and Sean's got one too, is because somebody on Atari Age was messing around with one of these things on the 7800, and if you put in the Edladen Seagull 78 into that, and then you put the Bluetooth dongle into the Seagull 78, any of the 8-bit Bluetooth controllers will work on the 7800 in true two-button fashion. Nice. That's cool. And really, I have not used a wired controller in a while. It's a pain in the ass to try to keep my Bluetooth controllers uh, charged up all the time because I also have rechargeable <laughs> lights for my bicycle, which I need to charge those up thinking about it. But yeah, so it's uh, a nice uh, option there. I've, I've said before that your products are premium products, but the Seagull 78 is a great budget solution for somebody that wants to uh, to delve into better controls without without spending a lot of money. The way I currently do it is with the uh, the Sega Genesis uh, arcade stick, which uh, is oh right, yeah, which works really well with that. I might add. Yeah, I have uh, one of those. They do work really well. <laughs> rapid fire, <laughs> which actually I was <laughs> working with the uh, my. 8-bit dough uh, controller on my Sega Master System last night, and it's got rapid fire on it, too. And I'm like, oh, my scores on Fantasy Zone are going up. So, Well, that's um, really cool. I'm looking at these now. These are really cool-looking controllers. I love all the colors. Yeah. And these are neat. And, then, and they, uh, they, make, they make different dongles. They make the 9-pin, which is mapped for Genesis, uh, which is why the Seagull 78 uh, will work with it on the 7800. There's only one game, and I've pointed this out, that it will not work with on the 7800 in, uh, in true fashion. And that is Xevious. And that's only because 
Xevious automatically detects if you're using a one or two button controller when you power the console on. And it takes time for the Bluetooth dongle to pair to the controller. So it's always going to assume it's a single button controller. But that's the only reason it doesn't work with it. I mean, it works. It just doesn't work in true two-button fashion. But you know what? I'll deal with that. That's not a, That's all things considered not terrible. I have a Sega Saturn sitting here that I've really done nothing with. Uh, it took me until this year. I've had it for like five, six years, maybe longer. Uh, it was just given to me with no controllers, no hookups, no nothing. And I finally got it, and I got a... Uh, what is this? What is that? An action replay cartridge? It makes it to where I can run burned CDs on it. And, um, mm. of course, I own the originals, because we don't encourage piracy here on PyFactory Of course, Podcast. yes. And uh, so I've been, I played a little bit of that, and um, I like Panzer Dragoon 2 on that. Um, I couldn't get the first one to run for some reason. But uh, that's a fun game, but I'm having a hard time really getting into that console. I mean, I only got like a handful of games, but I don't know. I didn't have it maybe in the back in its heyday, so maybe that's why I'm not getting into it. I've never laid hands on a on a Saturn. I've always been kind of curious about it, and, you know, I've got one now and trying to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> but uh, what else do I have here? Uh, if you could see the mess on the floor, that is my gaming area uh, in my bedroom. I do not have a, a good setup at all here. And, and I also got... Yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen anything, Sean. Trust me. I know you say your room's a mess. You have not seen mine. But uh, I also got... I don't even have any consoles connected right now. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you're a little bit... Uh... But my, my stuff's just strewn all over the floor. So, yeah. Um, so, Sean, what you say you don't have any hooked up, but uh, obviously you hook up your 7800, but... Uh... Tell us what else. What else you? Yeah, but ever with. since I disconnected it to bring the Midwest Gaming Classic, yeah, I haven't it reconnected up. it yet because I just haven't had a chance. For I'm not going to get into it right now. Oh, have you gotten a chance to try that eight uh, bit do do whatever Bluetooth dongle on the uh, the Vectrix? I have not because I still haven't figured out how to connect anything besides a Vectrex controller to the Vectrex. Uh-huh. Because again, the way those things are kind of formulated it's you can't just take something and plug it in and it's going to work you need some kind of extension you need to shave down the connection a little bit Mm -hmm. which i keep meaning to do i keep meaning to dremel an an extension cord or something so i can try an atari vox or something i did forget to mention uh the other console the i could not get the the other thing i could not get the uh eight bit do do whatever uh bluetooth dongle working on is my atari 65xe computer i did have to get a, a sega genesis extension cable off of eBay to even get it in there because of the way that the, uh, you know, it's kind of recessed into the side of the co- of the computer. It wouldn't fit like right in, kind of like what you're saying with the Atari Vox, but uh, it still didn't work. It wasn't given enough power to the device, so can't use it on that. And the problem with the Atari Vox is if you use it in anything but a 2600, it is, it's a, tr- it's a challenge. Because the 7800, it's not going to fit unless you either remove the plastic casing or you use an extension cord. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, I know there's they ran out of them on Atari Age and there's a, another batch that's going into production. I hope that batch fixes that issue. Mm-hmm. Especially since it's specifically designed to work with the Vectrex as well as the 2600, yet you can't plug it right into the Vectrex without some kind of go-between. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have to say, I completely forgot. I, I do own a the Vectrix that, Sean, you pointed towards me and said, hey, this might be Ooh. a good one to pick up. 
I have not gotten that thing out of the box yet, and I oh I know it's it's uh, might lose all my cred right here, but um, <laughs> I keep thinking, oh, I want to sit down and really dig into this thing, and then you know I kind of you know another week goes by, and I even sent off and got a uh, sitting on top of it is the Sean Kelly multi cart, so awesome, and it's definitely see that's well you know we we'll talk about that when we get to the what's coming next section, but. Uh, Oh yeah, I wanna I wanna work in that realm as well. My advice to you: do not use that Vectrex before you have to leave for work, or else you ain't leaving for work. <laughs> I always wanted to own one of those, never did. And I, on the rare occasion I get to get over to uh, to, to Sean's house, uh, I I do uh, play it once in a while, and I'm like, why did I never own this thing? The last time I was over at Sean's house, I was playing. What was the game? Was it Vector Pilot? I think it, it was. It was uh, Vector Pilot, yes. Which is uh, the, the Vectrex version homebrew of uh, of Time Pilot. And I was amazed playing it, kind of the sound, and I'm like, this sounds exactly like the arcade game. I mean, it doesn't sound like it. Come to find out, the arcade game Time Pilot and the Vectrex console use the same sound chip. Oh, and, wow. And I was like, wow, this was... Vector Pilot is really good. And uh, that really, uh, really impressed me to no end. And I'm like, gosh, I want one of these, but I know if I, A, if I had the money, and B, if my wife wouldn't hit me, uh, I'd, I'd like to get one. But uh, there you go. Well, the prices on them have gone out of sight. It's just crazy. And yeah. I, I wouldn't have one either if uh, Sean pointed me at a really good deal and, and just had to have a, happen to have a little extra cash at that moment. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not unusual to see them for a three and four and even bumping $500, which is yeah. mind-blowing. And wait till you find one that has a the original box with it. Oh, goodness. Mm. I don't even want to think about that. I decided I don't need the original box. I just want the console. Yeah, I don't care about boxes in particular. Oh, my God, but I love the Vectrex. I, you know what, Ed? There's your next project, a Vectrex controller. Well, that's, that's uh, yeah, spoiler alert, That's uh, the 5200 is, is truly next, and then... That'll give us a solid lock on a on analog technology, and so yeah, the the Vectrex is is next. That's the plan. Didn't somebody make an adapter for the fifty two hundred to use a Vectrex controller? I, have no I thought idea. I had heard that somewhere. Now that I think about it, I all right. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna admit this much, and I'm this, I'm gonna sound totally off by saying this, and this will probably piss some people off. But there are people out there who do make custom Vectrex controllers. Mm-hmm. Like kind of on the lines of the Ed Ladin controllers, but much smaller and for for like fifty bucks or something. But the thing that's stopping me from getting one of those, aside from the fact that I don't want to spend that kind of money right now, is I like to play competitively from time to time. And the Twin Galaxies tracks all say you must use the original controller, oh. and that ticks me off. And I know there are people out there who have a grudge against Twin Galaxies. I don't care i don't i don't care about twin galaxies one way or the other other than as a scoreboard so whatever but gotta follow their rules if i'm gonna play in their playground right right having said that yeah p- uh, put me down for an ed Ladin vectrex controller <laughs> all right <laughs> you got it <laughs> well i i've seen those and they yeah they they're really cool but they they're like you said they're they're small not saying that that's a bad thing, by the way. No, no, it's it's the right thing for what it is, and and it's you know just definitely the more options people have, whenever someone comes out with another cool thing, and 
you know, personally, I never see that as like, oh, you know, it's all for fun. So uh, Worse. the more options and the more price points and sizes and all that, the better it off it is for everybody. And just to be, like you said, to play in the playground is really the fun part. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, that'll be the, that literally is, is the plan to do a 5200 controller and then a Vectrix controller directly after that. I'm definitely looking forward to the 5200 controller. Ooh, me um, too. That might make me reconsider my position on not having a 5200. My thing with the 5200 is I like it. I think it's a, a vastly underrated console. But the only problem right now is that most of the games for the 5200 either have a counterpart on the Atari 8-bit computer system or the games that were exclusive to the 5200 or the better versions, like Kicks on the 5200 is way better than the Atari 8-bit version, is that the the games for the 5200 were converted by Homesoft over to the 8-bit computer. So I honestly don't really see a need to hook it up right now. Yeah, it's it's not a giant thing. If you if you have eight uh, bit computers, then it's a hard sell. Yeah, uh, the only the only real reason I would consider uh, hooking it up is well, if I had the coupler for uh, for Space Dungeon, I am not a fan of Robotron on the fifty two hundred or the eight bit. I think that's a really crappy version. Or um, well, the trackball. You kind of need it. Well, I don't have the trackball though, so I can't comment on that. Never had one of those. I've always wanted. Yeah, to try and are one. you thinking of doing a trackball too for the fifty-two hundred, or just a joystick? Just a joystick. I mean, honestly, what about a fifty? Framer, what, a, what about a trackball in general for any system? Again, you know the CX. Um, what is it? The twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. on the 2600 and the 7800 and then, and then Dan Kramer's CX53 is just they might need a little uh, light cleaning but most of those things still run super solid and it doesn't seem like there's a giant need like there's such a great controller out there and for cheaper way cheaper than I could build them mm-hmm. mm. even though they're they're a little pricey on eBay but you know you can still find one for 50 60 dollars or get lucky in a shop it just doesn't seem like there's such a hole right there, you know, like mm-hmm, there, sure. there's already such a great solution out there. I don't know what more I have to add that wasn't done in 1982. So it's not a very high priority in any case. But, you know, like the 5200 controller wanted the plan not only to have a joystick, but to actually have a basically a, a knob that will move back and forth. You can flip a switch and go from spinner mode to paddle mode. So that you can use it as a driving controller or oh, as like a, a spinner on Tempest or on like Gyrus. So Oh, I remember the other game, um, the other the other reason to hook the 5200 up, and that was for the Dreadnought Factor, because that works really good with the analog controls. It, it really does. That's probably the, the one game that works the best with that controller. Yeah, I totally agree. That is, that's, if the 5200 comes out, you name them both Space Dungeon. And Dreadnought Factor. And Dreadnought Factor, I'll end up getting in a groove with that thing and play it for weeks on end. I've played that on the 8-bit. I've played it on the 5200 and the Intellivision, and I loved every version. On the 8-bit, somebody actually did a couple of, did like three hacks of uh, Dreadnought Factor with like totally new Dreadnoughts in them. Uh, different uh, layouts than the original. And those, I loved those variations of the game. That, that game, that game can get addicting. It really can really can just one more ship (laughs) because of the strategy involved it's not just to blast everything and move on to the next one it's like not at all these you bomb the engines to slow it down you bomb the uh 
the missile silos so they can't launch missiles. Then you uh, destroy the the towers so that, uh, you know, the guns don't fire as often. And, you know, it's just, how do you go about it? And, uh, you know, just a lot of strategy involved with that for what seems like a really simple game. Yeah, I agree. That's a, it's a hidden gem for the system. It's in my probably top, I would say top three on the, for the 5200. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I I would, I would totally agree with that. I think Space Dungeon would be one of the other three <laughs> for me personally. I remember I had that way back when, but yeah, yeah, I try getting one of those couplers. <laughs> Sean, you got anything you want to say or ask? Yeah, or? I might as well, like uh, going back to something I talked about way, 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 way back in the beginning of this recording. Uh, while I was at Underground Retrocade, I finally broke six digits on Qbert and had the score like recorded for Orcade.com. Nice. Yay just so I could have something up there. And I figured out something that really, really helped. When you get to level six, where you have to land on a cube twice, and if you land on it a third time, it goes back to the very original color (laughs) instead of just the previous color. Yes. (laughs) The trick is do one row at a time. That's it. Just start from the very bottom, get all those, the target color, then move up. Don't, if it takes a long time, Screw it. Just do it. Yeah, but that, that, that little green ass will show up and throw oh my God. plants out, oh out my the window. <laughs> Still, I mean, little even green then. <laughs> that, that little oh, guy man. that jumps it, down and, and uh, it's slick and sand. Your... <laughs> I just like the phrase little green asshole. That little green asshole. Oh, uh, happy happy birthday, uh, Jeff Lee, whose birthday oh, yeah. was yesterday that from is... the day we're recording this. He Oh, we got to tell him about that. He will love that. He'll probably be like, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's a perfect name for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Qbert's a, a favorite. I, I really love Qbert. It's, yeah. you know, if, if Not on the 5200, though. <laughs> no, it's pretty well unplayable on the 50. My, my favorite oh, version my is the, um, the 7800 homebrew. Oh. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Well, when you guys, back in the day, did you have any unusual controllers for your any of your consoles? I had a Wicco trackball for the 2600, but I didn't like it very much. I, I returned it pretty fast. I had the Spectra Video Quick Shot joystick, which the thing that attracted me to that was the suction cups to put it on a table. And it actually worked yeah. really well. And I, really? I, I really enjoyed the controller, but the problem was the internals were like pretty crappy. And uh, they broke after a while. They weren't as sturdy as the nylon insert in the CX40. Uh, it was a really, really weak, thin piece of plastic to push the uh, the buttons on the inside. But the in concept, it was a great controller. In construction, just something different altogether. Was like, that the one that would look like a flight stick kind of an arrangement with a button? No. Well, it it, it kind of looked like a, a trigger, except that the like the handle of a gun. It's just that the instead of having a trigger, it had the button on top. Hmm. Uh, then there was the, what, I had the, the Mindscape Power Player, which I still have, and I actually also have the Epics, uh, what was it? Um, oh, the X. Uh, the 500-something. XJ500. Yeah. Uh, I like both those controllers, but nowadays they don't seem to uh, give much in the way of good diagonal direction, so I need to open them up to see if there's something wrong with them. I knew a guy that actually had a whole huge lot of the Mindscape Power Player joysticks that were just unassembled. Uh, you had to put the stuff, you know, the, the, the board in them and screw them together and put the label on it. But uh, they worked, and that's how I got this one. Uh, I don't know what happened to that guy. I wonder if he still has them. 
I have to see if I can locate them. But I dug those controllers, and um, yeah, they were just the clickiness didn't do it for me. I did have the the CX uh, not six the uh, XJ five hundred for the Sega Master System at one time, and that one actually came with uh, rapid fire control on it too. So that was kind of fun. Mm. That in- again increased my scores on Fantasy Zone. I had a rapid fire adapter that I bought at Kmart back in the early eighties for four bucks. Oh wow. And it works really, really, really well on Defender for the 2600, but not much else because all it does is just simulate somebody repeatedly clicking the fire button. It's not really all that fast. That thing only worked on the 2600 to anything else I tried it with. It was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Doesn't really surprise me. 2600, so many of them, it was just one bullet on the screen at a time. Yeah. So rapid fire really wouldn't help you that much, like, you know, space invaders or something. You just... Yeah. Just derail your shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's so, interesting. You still have that? Is it just like a little pass-through? It's just a little pass-through. And yeah, I do still have it. I discovered it not terribly long ago. I was like, oh my god, I still have it! I should see if my Sega Master System one will work on any other Atari console. I can't really say that I've had any particularly bizarre controllers, at least back then. There was one that I remember. I remember on Starcade. They used to plug a controller called Trigger Command. Yes. It was a mm-hmm. trigger controller. And once when uh, one of my CX-40s was starting to go south, I hinted that maybe a nice trigger controller would be a nice birthday or Christmas present. And uh, I don't remember which trigger controller it was, but it wasn't anything fancy. And it had it had the trigger grip and a small fire button at the very top. So you didn't actually operate it like a like one of those trigger thingies Mm -hmm. and uh, it was okay, but not the greatest, but there is one thing I do want to give a little shout out to, if you can shout out to it, an object. I think it was Christmas in 1987. I got as a present, a couple of craft joysticks. Uh, They're made by craft. Duh. Uh, They're beige and uh, with a black, a small black joystick and a uh, black fire button on the left side. So it's a right-handed joystick. Ha ha. Hmm. And on the bottom, there's a little plastic rotator thingy that switches between four-way and eight-way. Oh, and, uh, nice. Uh, that switch didn't really work very well. I just left it in eight-way permanently. And those, I really did like the feel of those things. And I I don't know what happened. I think sometime during my Commodore 64 gaming, it just kind of wore out. Mm-hmm. And in the last year, I scoured eBay for a couple of these and I got one. In fact, I'm holding one right now, and yeah, it's a very pleasant joystick, and uh, the cable on it is freaking long, too. Hmm. That's interesting. Never heard of that one. But that's really the only unusual ones that I had back then. I mean, since, obviously, like in my more recent years of, say, console gaming, I've had a few, like, oh, there's, in fact, hold on a sec, let me uh, see what this one is that I accidentally uh, gorilla glued one of the buttons down. (laughs) <laughs> Oops. <laughs> when I was trying to repair it. This was from an eBay sale from a lot that I bought a few years ago. It's called the BC Blaster. Hmm. It's a very, very hollow box with a wood grain kind of decoration on it. And it's from uh, BC Systems, 59 West Wyoming Avenue, Melrose, Massachusetts. And it's just buttons. It's a, There's a left, right, a down, an up, and a fire. Oh. So it's huh. it's perfect theoretically to play asteroids with. 
And I tried that. I tried this on the 7800, and I do a heck of a lot better using a joystick than I do with the buttons. Those buttons are weird. They look like I'm looking at one online, and it's like stolen off a keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, the fire button broke off because whoever shipped this, like, put zero padding in it at all. (laughs) And so the fire button broke off, so I Gorilla glued it down, and it fell off again later, so I Gorilla glued it. I did the stupid thing. It's like the with Gorilla Glue, the more force you put on it, the more clampage you put down on it, the better it bonds. Uh, I put a, a little bit too much Gorilla Glue on it, so it actually went down into the spring mechanism. So now it's permanently down, unless nope. I can find a way to get the, to pull the glue out. Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a challenge with Gorilla Glue. <laughs> yeah, because that stuff oh, well. doesn't want to like ease up. Oh, you know what? There was one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Ed, and uh, we're coming. Probably should wrap this up here pretty quick, but um, but before we go, I wanted to ask you: um, you have some, you, you have a relationship with the stored Atari age these days? Oh yes, yes I do. Let's see, when did that start? Now it's been a little while. Um, yep. Was very grateful to have Albert's support through the Kickstarter campaign. That was really actually. Uh, was making a trip to Austin. I used to make a trip every year to go to a film festival in Austin. And one of those trips he and I met and uh, shared a beer together and just chatted about Atari and got to know him a little. Well, you know, that's, that's not even true. The very first time I met Albert, he was assist, uh, you know, like co-manager of the pinballs arcade in Austin an actual, uh, retro gaming, you know, focus on pinball machines, but they still had quite a, video game collection as well and he was working over there at the time the first time i met him for just a minute uh but then we really sat down and got to talk about the kickstarter campaign and he agreed to support it and then just gave us some lovely promotion there you know first it's like being on you know the cover of rolling stone like the old song you know to see our kickstarter campaign there on the front page of atari age uh after just being a, a reader for all those years and and then, uh, yeah, eventually he uh, moved us into the store and started offering our stuff. And uh, we've done a, a really nice business together. He's It's been a marvelous showcase. And I guess the last piece that happened was he moved us. At first, you know, we just had our pieces in the 7800 area. But then when the Coleco stuff came along, we got our own front page category, like in the list of stuff, you know, kind of down the left tab there when you go into the store that we, there's an actual Atladen thing, which is really, really proud of that too. You, you know, know, no it, disrespect meant to Albert. I like Albert a lot, but I think that was unfair to limit it just to the 7,800 section because the controllers work so well with any system that has that compatible port. Well, they're in the 2,600 side as well. Now they're actually in it. He's, he's broadened it out since it rolled out and yeah, we show up in, in both categories now. And, awesome. And one other thing about your offerings in the um, in the Atari Age store is you actually have uh, some circuit boards uh, yes. to, for people to yes. make their own uh, Atari controllers. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. At the beginning, you know, at the very beginning, we were just making our you know direct harness, building a harness from scratch, and that was a gigantic nuisance and slow and difficult. And once it was apparent that there really was some interest in these controllers. I work with a, a, a guy named uh, Bob Bugash. He's our engineer. We hire him um, per project, but he's a brilliant guy and has put together a couple of really nice, basically they're input-output boards where you 
everything's nicely labeled with little solder pads that you can just go straight in with your nine wires on your cord. And if you have the basic soldering skills and you want to make your own controller, you don't have to figure all that out. You know, it literally says, here's where you hook the four joystick uh, wires and the ground wire. And it just makes it all very easy, you know, and they're really for us. I mean, they were made primary role is to make controllers more efficiently and quickly and, and better. But we thought, why not offer them to everybody so that if somebody wants to make their own, you know, for a few bucks, they can pick up the little board and have that same convenience. And we don't really sell too many of them, but there's a kind of a steady dribble of hobbyists that people that want to build their own stuff, build their own controllers that will pick up those, the easy 78 and the easy CV, which are the. And the easy CV actually does come with the keypad also. That's right. Yeah. We actually had a, a set of, custom membrane keypads made shipped over from china to run with those things and and those really are they're a they're a mirror image of what's inside a an original ColecoVision controller which was is an insane like 16 hmm. diode array that somehow oh boy converts those into a four digit code mm. like you wouldn't believe it it's a binary thing that that's how the ColecoVision gets its input yep. data and am i correct in saying that the ez78 and the ez CV are actually embedded in controllers that people order from your store at Atari Age, of course. Yeah, yeah. Those are exactly the boards that are in there. There are yeah. primary way of building those controllers. Like the the diode array, you could do it. You could hand wire with a, a, step, a pile of diodes, but good Lord, that would... Mm-hmm. You know, the 7800 is really not so bad. It's really just two resistors, and then mm-hmm. it's wired kind of funny, but... Uh, it's doable, but that that diode array that would be well worth. If I were trying to build my own, I would gladly buy any easy CV to sidestep all that and just be able to go right yeah. into the board. Hey, how long does it usually take you to build one of your controllers? Well, that's a good question. Well, it varies. Some of the cases we you know we still start with a completely blank case and drill all the holes in it, and some we've had short runs, you know, of like a hundred cases at a time by a, a metal company. Uh, so it depends which case you're starting with. And then, you know, if it's a super twin, you got to wire the whole thing twice, so to speak. And certainly the super arcade controller, which is the, the multi-console controller, that thing is a beast. So with all that said, it ranges from, you know, start to finish, bagged and ready to ship, probably between two hours and five hours for the that super arcade controller. But it's not too bad. I put on my favorite podcasts and get in the zone and out they pop. <laughs> so you don't listen to us then? <laughs> uh, self-deprecating humor. Uh, uh, but I think with that, we'll, uh, we'll call it a night here. It's a night. Tonight's the night. Gonna be all right. Um, so, Ed, uh, tell, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can get a hold of you other than the Atari Age store, which we just uh, talked about. Yeah, the Atari Age store, and then otherwise it's just ed- edladden.com. Well, you get the show notes. The show notes. Yeah, and then if you just Google Ed Ladden, at this point we actually pop right at the top, which is another, you know, for the longest time it always just said, oh, did you mean Aladdin, and then... Oh, my God. I was going to say, like, what <laughs> else would come up? It really, it just, you know, Google tries to reroute you. We assume, you, but then about a year ago, year and a half ago, it, it just, no, they know that you're, if you put Ed Ladin, it really does go straight to our page, which is uh, like, you know, if you've made it in Google, you've really made it. <laughs> 
but that's it. That's where we are. Edladen.com and then in the Atari Age store. And very happy to have the support in either either spot. Awesome. So thank you for uh, for coming on our show, and thank you for not disconnecting uh, the Skype connection, as I tend to have that effect on people. And uh, welcome. Uh, you're welcome to come back anytime, uh, except when we're not recording. We can come back. We're just not going. You're just going to be like awkwardly in silence. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> So, and I think I permanently damaged this BC blaster. Uh oh. Well, thank you guys. I, you know, I love all this. Again, I love the podcast, not only Pie Factory, but of course the 7800 show and uh, just your friendship out on the social media. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And this, is, this has been the, the great unexpected, you know, the whole goal is just to put out a few controllers for people, but it really is, you know, like, like Falsa Doom taught us all those years ago. The riddle of steel, it's not the sword, it's the hand that wields it. And we also thank you for uh, your contribution to the This Week in Robotron Challenge. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you for that, definitely. That guy looks so happy. (laughs) Oh, my God, you have, oh, man, it was so unreal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, I love it. You know, it's just, again, you know, when your stuff makes somebody thrilled as a prize, like, you, you know, I feel like we're in the right business. Great way to make a living. Yeah, Andrew was just beyond thrilled. And it's not a cheap product either. And I'm not talking. uh, I'm not talking price. I'm talking quality. It's a. It's a a very very solid product. And um, the quality and the craftsmanship in all of your uh, your products, um, it really shows through. And your stuff, all of it, is worth every penny. I'm well, just thank a, you. I'm just a cheap bastard. <laughs> so. Sean, um, I think at this point we should probably, um, st- you know what? Okay, for the next episode, uh, Sean and I are going to be talking about Super Breakout and Star Castle. Oh, and especially, Ed, thank you for being with us tonight because I totally didn't prepare my notes for that episode. And if you we weren't here, either. we would have had to have done that episode. So yeah, I don't have any notes ready for either. We haven't even decided who's going to take <laughs> which game yet. But, Chaotic uh, Star Castle. That will be the next episode of Pie Factory Podcast. And uh, Sean, uh, let's uh, we should thank some people, and we should thank oh, a new yeah. person too. By the way, oh yeah, let's thank the the new. Per- well, uh, he's been a longtime listener, actually. Kurt Musgrave, thank you, our latest uh, uh, Patreon sponsor, along with Christian Williams. Thank you both. Thank both of you guys so much. And we also extend a huge gratitude toward Franco Dragon Underground Retrocade, Atari Bytes, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Michael D'Angelo, Steve Steiner, Richard Valdez, D. Alex, if that is your real name. Uh, it kind of is, by the way. <laughs> Kyle Etter, PJ Steele, Art Guglielmo, Richard Grounds, Keith Sheehan, uh, who has his own custom Atari 7800 controller, by the way, built from a, uh, was it a Space Invaders plug-and-play? I believe so. I think that's what uh, it is. Tim Foley, thank you. Rory Coleman, also thank you. Jonas Rulo, uh, Soul Blazer, until I learn how to properly pronounce your last name, Greg, I apologize. Nate Lockhart, did I say Art Guglielmo? Well, if I did, uh, I'll thank well, you again. Well, two of them. Yeah, there you go. And, of course, thanks to uh, Ed Kelly for being a wonderful mm-hmm. guest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, Sean, don't you have a redundancy? Oh, indeed I do. In fact, it's honor... I don't remember if I used this one yet, but I'm going to use it anyway, regardless, to commemorate the concert that my wife and I went to last night in Tinley Park, given by what's left of The Who, and it kicked so much ass, and I would so do it again. And so this week's redundancy, as I sign out, join together 
There we are. All right. Good night, everybody. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Join together. There we are. Which they performed, by the way. Oh, did they? Which kind of different from when I went to see the Doobie Brothers, because they didn't perform their actually biggest hit in concert, which was... Uh, which was What a Fool Believes, and I have a feeling that's because Michael McDonald doesn't tour with them. Oh, well, what you going to do? Well, no big loss. <laughs> no. Hey, I like the Doobie Brothers, and they were in concert with Steely Dan. I have, I have a lot of respect for the Doobie Brothers. I just don't like What a Fool Believes. Because you don't like Michael McDonald. Alrighty. Oh, I love I love making fun. Every, hey, one of the f- there, are, there are some things that are always funny. Making fun of terrorists, always funny. Making fun of Catholics, always funny. Making fun of Michael McDonald, always funny. <laughs> okay, well, I guess you're right. So, By the way, I was raised Catholic, so I'm allowed to make fun of Catholics. <laughs> I was actually raised bad Catholic, so I can make fun of Catholics. Yeah. Anyway. Well, right. My parents were Catholics, but I, I managed to escape the raising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Night, everyone. Mystery Science Theater. That's one of our favorite episodes. Me and Sean is Danger Death Ray. That is my all-time favorite episode. I don't know if I've seen that one. I've been it's watching a- it's a Mike episode. Okay. And um, it's my favorite Mike episode. It's not my all-time favorite episode. That would probably have to be either, um, let me think, Cave Dwellers, Pod People, or Hercules Against the Moon Men. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Also, The Painted Hills or The Girl in Lover's Lane. Hello, big stupid. <laughs> oh, that's the big stupid movie. Okay. That's the big stupid. I keep forgetting which one had big stupid in it. The thing is with that one, the movie was actually pretty good. Um, it was just, as they said, they've done worse movies, just they've never had one that pissed them off as much as that one because <laughs> how dare you give us a, a really likable character and then kill her off the way that they did in that film. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But at any rate, this is not the Mystery anyway. Science Theater podcast. Uh, oh, God, excuse me. Yeah, I, I just had some of my uh, beloved uh, raspberry ginger ale, so I'm yes. kind of... Hoping. Although I'll try it, even though I don't like raspberries. Oh, no, blackberry, blackberry, sorry. I don't like blackberries either, but I would try it at least once. Who could ask for anything more? Toyota. Well, without any further ado, we'll give you your Monday mystery game, Tinkle Pit! It does exist, and of course we have it. Released from Namco back in 1993. Extremely rare. Really, really cool game. So many people have been asking for this, and now it is here for everybody. The, the Pie Factory podcast guys were the original ones to bring this up. Would we ever get it? Die!